3: Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you
1: know we are giving away a bunch of brand new
3: Black Magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey, welcome to the
1: 240th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Dave Fairbanks and Koga
3: Okajiru. I'm Matt Inlow. And I'm Oren Kaplan, and today we are talking to ourselves. Yet again, two episodes in a row, you get Matt and Oren. Whoa, are you sick of us yet? We have a patron named Emilio Torres, and he says, Hey, the guests are always so valuable, but you two are the real reason this podcast is so fun to listen to. So guess what? That's enough permission for us. There we go. To have no guests two weeks in a row. Look at that. It has nothing to do with the fact that we have been pretty darn busy. Yeah, no busy. And yeah, and we, you know, we're actually quite picky with what guests we bring on. We don't want to bring on people that we don't think are valuable to our listeners. Not, you know, that aren't offering new things to our listeners that aren't going to teach us things that we haven't learned already and that aren't kind of bringing in new viewpoints and voices and stuff. So, I mean, yes, we have been really busy and we definitely, those people are out there and we are going to get them to come on the show. But also, you know, people seem to not mind us that much. So here we are to talk about pre-production meetings, about what happens when you get a job And you're working on it, and somebody else is paying for it, and now you have to explain to them how you are using their money to make their thing, and you are just praying that they like what you came up with. Because sometimes they don't. Yeah, so we've had a lot of listener
1: questions about this, actually. It's commonly referred to as the PPM, and uh, it is the big dog and pony show before you go into production sometimes it'll be preceded by a pre-ppm have you ever done one of those orange yeah and ppm is pre-production meeting yeah so a pre pre-production
3: meeting yeah pppm that's like a loan for covid uh, <laughs> for people yeah i need to talk Matt. to my accountant about that basically a ppm
1: you know, it sounds like it would be like a true production meeting that you would have your department heads there. And that would be kind of the final opportunity for everybody to be in the same room together or on the same zoom together in certain cases and figure everything out. But that is not what it is at all. In fact, uh, you have to have everything figured out and buttoned up more or less or as best as you possibly can, because this is really your presentation to the agency and client about what you were going to go implement. And so it's much more presentational and much less functional work sometimes you'll have a few decisions that maybe need to get dialed in or something like that or there might be some feedback you need to react to but for the most part
3: it is the presentation it's like you're pitching one last time basically right and to be clear we're talking about mainly commercials branded jobs anytime someone hires you to make something for them which is different than a narrative project where you would have that pre-production meeting with your team with your ad with your keys and go through the script page by page or that tone meeting with your writers and tv or a color meeting i love a good color meeting what's a color same sort of thing Yeah, color meeting is like a tone meeting,
1: except for that. I think it happens a little earlier. It's more about like getting the vibe of what they're aiming for, whereas a tone meeting is closer to final production, basically.
3: Yeah, that's interesting. I've never heard of a color meeting. Is that would that happen in TV also or only TV mainly? Actually, I think it's really kind of like you and the showrunner
1: get on the same page in advance of the decisions that you're going to make before kind of a final show and tell. And you already have the job at this point, though. You already have the job. Yeah, correct. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's just like, oh, this is how we would do a joke like this. You know, it's kind of like a big, like a
3: heads up of like, this is what we're, what we're thinking, basically. This is how we do it. But wouldn't your job be to like watch a bunch of episodes before you even get the job? Yeah, but it's
1: episode specific. So, you know, there's a couple different ways they probably approach certain things and maybe they want to, you know, put a new spin on finding the bad guy or coming across the dead body or whatever right. it is. That, so in this episode know, of Barry,
3: he finally realizes that he could actually be a good actor, right? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, right. And so, everything needs to kind of support this, this discovery or something. And so, so far this season,
1: we've shot it so that, you know, we're really low and behind the stage or like in the, the viewer's point of view or something like that. And this time we thought, oh, let's go ahead and actually... Change it up and do it this way or whatever, you know.
3: Anyway, I just had a meeting with some people, and one person kept saying POV. Um, well, my POV is this, and this POV, and I thought her POV would be this. Is it annoying when people just use some jargon like over and over and over? Bro, if you don't like jargon, then it, you are going to have a hard time
1: being around development people. Because there are there are just such trendy words that they all just kind of sink their teeth into and grab onto. And they're like, oh, if I say this word a bunch, it means I'm probably good at my job. I mean, how many times have we talked about uh, being undeniable? Undeniable was like the, you know,
3: 2018 version of POV. I guess like, I mean, this is it's not a humble brag. It's just kind of my anti-jargon approach is... It is funny you used a term the term hum, humble brag, which is very specifically of an era <laughs> well yeah but that's more a pop culture thing it's not like a pretentious like uh, i know what i'm talking about in the executive boardroom it's more like pop culture, and it's like kind of derogatory self de- self-deprecating in a way but i don't know I, I my approach is like to be as clear as possible and if jargon makes things more clear like the word tone, I think people outside the film industry, when you talk about the tone of a film or a commercial or a TV show, I don't know that they would actually have any idea what the hell you're talking about, you know? But to me, tone is a word that we just throw around all the time. I never have pitched on anything in the last 10 years without talking about the tone. But when you talk about things that feel like they're being said over and over and there's kind of cleaner, clearer ways to say them, I don't know. I think it's it's kind of annoying. <laughs>
1: yeah absolutely i think again it it boils down to development can be or or any sort of executive style job is really so unclear and so nebulous and so amorphous that that those jargon catchphrases help people understand what they need to be paying attention to and so that's gonna shift as trends change and the you know the desires of the job in the studio or the agency or wherever change and so i think that's where it comes from it's just that you know in this exact moment pov is a thing is a category is one of the things that is really important to the company and therefore they think is a thing that will help make the commercial spot or tv show or whatever or movie Better Is does this person have it or not? And like, does it get overused? Of course. Is it because it's overused? Does it make it more vague? Yeah, absolutely. But I guess it just kind of comes from this perspective of thinking that it's a thing that you have to account for.
3: I mean, I guess as an example, like this person would say, like, well, I was thinking her POV is that she is doing this for, you know, because she likes him. But then the way you're talking about her POV, it's because she's afraid of him. Right. That's a motivation. Sometimes they're just kind of like
1: masking a lack of experience.
3: Yeah. Which is like, why don't you just say like, I think she's doing this because of this. Like, why are you just adding this word anyway? I don't know how we got off on this tangent. I apologize. But, you know, it's a Matt and Orton episode. It's like, it is, it's about the tangents. It's just jazz, baby. We're
1: just riffing. <laughs> We're just improvising. Yeah, look
3: pretty, out, Mark Maron.
1: This is a jam session. <laughs> Jeez Louise. On, All right. Of complaints. Okay, so <laughs> well, Matt. Look, before, before we get into PPMs, actually. Yes. Before we get into the meat, we should talk about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Just Shoot a Pod. It's a cool place where you can throw us a couple bucks if you want... Uh, shout out at the top of the show, which I think people are really enjoying and I love uh, shouting people out. That's been super fun. But also for 10 bucks, uh, you can get yourself a Just Shoot It hat, which is pretty great for keeping your super long, probably a little greasy hair out of your face and out of your eyes during the
3: indoor times that we are living in now. Yeah. Didn't we mention it's one size fits all? So yeah, check it out. I just mailed out a few... Uh... A couple of days ago. Yesterday? The day before. But speaking of yesterday and the day before, and the amorphous nature of time, I do want to tell people that we recorded this episode pre-election. It is now Sunday night before what some might say is the biggest election of our lives. So Matt said if uh, all chaos is raining down in the streets on Thursday, November 5th, we won't release this episode. So if you're hearing this, it means we're still alive. If it feels inappropriate to talk about advertising and
1: how to get jobs, uh, because uh, the civil unrest has exploded
3: and is at a fever pitch, then I think we probably could, you're, we're going to be you know preoccupied. Yeah, don't think of us as two people that just don't care. We care so much that we have to make this podcast to give ourselves one a one hour break from the doom doom and gloom of the Twitter scroll. Hey, boy, ain't that the truth, man? Um, yeah.
1: Well, fingers crossed that everything uh, gets a, at least a little bit better and, and is on the path towards getting a whole lot better. Sure. So, yeah, we'll see. <laughs>
3: we'll see. Look, I'll, 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 I'll take a, uh, I'll, one step at a time, Warren, right? Yeah. What I'm trying to promise myself is regardless of what happens, of who wins, of who gets the Senate and who gets the presidency, my goal for November 4th, which I actually have a shoot on that day, which is not a good day for me to be shooting <laughs> um, Boy, i shot on november 4th one time really well you know the election's not always on november 3rd oh right? no no but
1: like the day after the election that's what i mean to say oh. yeah, yeah. yeah yeah a wednesday yeah in
3: early november is what i mean okay yeah i'm sure it wasn't fun but my goal is to just totally disengage from politics for at least some some time whether the person i want to win wins and then that person I do seem to, st- I do genuinely think is quite boring, and will make me not worry about politics for quite a while. Or if the person I don't want to win wins, and it's a person who I would prefer not to hear anything from, uh, then either way, I just need to disconnect and just work I think on, that my, is a, on my screenplay.
1: Yeah, yeah, just dig in, man. Uh, I will say this: maybe, maybe set that date a tiny bit later in the year. Okay. Let let the dust settle a little bit. Yeah, there you go. That's great. Um, Well, I hope that you don't uh, stop listening to podcasts, Oren and listeners at large, um, because we've got a lot of cool stuff coming up. But uh, let's hop into our conversation about PPMs.
3: Hey folks, we're interrupting this incredible episode of the podcast to tell you about a new sponsor that we're working with, Front Row Insurance Brokers. One of the challenges of being a filmmaker is that there's a lot of risks that we take and we really just want to focus on making good stuff. So what if there was a company that could take those risks, manage them for us while we are being artists? That's right. Front Row Insurance Brokers arranges film
1: production insurance to cover the risks associated with your production. They cover features, TV shows, documentaries, commercials, music videos, webisodes, basically anything you can watch on big media or phone-sized screens.
3: Yeah, Front Row will help you focus on your artistic vision by transferring all the risks to them and minimizing your production hazards. And they cover any budget from $2,000 all the way up to $200 million. There's nothing that's too small or too big. If you are shooting in Canada, use coupon code JUSTSHOOTIT50OFF
1: for 50 bucks off your film production insurance. That's promo code JUSTSHOOTIT50OFF to save 50 bucks.
3: And if you're shooting in the U.S., that same code can be redeemed offline by mentioning it to a broker by email or over the phone. It's like a cool password if you're in the U.S. That's just shoot it fifty off. Check them out. Let us know how it goes. So, Oren, do do you remember your very first PPM? Yes, I think this happens to a lot of people when you get into commercials and branded content and all that stuff. You kind of get thrown into this world, and I I, no one explains anything. Yeah, I imagine a lot of times you're working with a producer, and it like honestly, they don't even have to be that. Experience of a producer, but they will treat you as if they've done this a billion times and you've done this a hundred times, right? And they will just start asking you to do things that even though maybe they only do at their company, they think everybody does. And so they'll be like, hey, we got the pre pro book. Can you uh, send us some images for uh, the shots, you know, the boards or whatever? And you're yeah, like, uh, we, we want your shot list. We want your uh, uh, director's statement. Can you whip up a director's statement? Sorry, we should have asked a little earlier. Yeah. Oh my God. How nerve wracking is a director's statement on like a branded thing?
1: Well, so, I, you know, it's interesting, like directing, there's only one of us in the room at any given time. So now, just now that we're talking about it, I realized I have no idea how you do a PPM. I only know how I do it. And I think to your point of, they kind of push you into the deep end and especially I don't know about you, but those first few jobs for me, I was really faking it till I made it. You know, I just I I think people were trusting me with a, a budget and I was like, yes, I have the experience to shoot this thing and all of the other parts of this job I will figure out as I go along because I know that the I know I can deliver on the product and you slowly learn that the other part of directing commercials is client services basically and is is just having a a good rapport with the people that you with the stakeholders basically of the commercial so your client and your agency and your head of production
3: yeah i mean the goal it's weird because you have to make a lot of different people happy right but you're the people you want to make the happiest are the people at the agency right the people that decided to hire you and it's usually them and the client approves it, but they say, oh, we really like Matt. We should hire Matt. Here's his reel. Here's his treatment. This is why we should hire him. And then they agree, right? So the client isn't the most important person, but for the agency, the client is the most important person. So if the client tells you something, you should do it because you need to make the agency look good for recommending you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you know, it's a funny
1: thing because again, it t- took me a while to figure this out, but clients have the least amount of time making commercials of everyone agency people their whole job is to make commercials so they are on set you know pretty frequently and they're like they probably have multiple jobs going and they're they're you know there's different degrees to how important an account is you know sometimes when you're starting out they're probably on you're probably on an account that's less important to them Um, but maybe not, maybe they're just, they do so many jobs that they, they're doing a few smaller jobs and they're having, they're testing new younger people out with them. Um, but, but a client, you know, their most of their job is, you know, making dog food or something or selling dog food. And so they are worried about media spends and, you know, reporting to their corporate overlords and all that stuff. They're, they're a suit. They're a a classic corporate person. And so you get a couple different flavors. You know, sometimes you get like a party animal, which we can talk about the dinner after the PPM or sometimes before. And sometimes they're like really into production and sometimes they're just like real sweethearts. It's, you know, you never know. And so I realized if you go into a PPM with a few, you know, questions you want to dial in, like you've got a couple different options and you want to maybe make the decision in the PPM where you've got the, you know, the thing projected up on the monitor or something like that, you have to be really particular on how you phrase questions because what the client says goes. And so if you really, really want option a to be the choice, but you require to, you know, actors are a good example. Like you've actor a is really, really awesome, but they're insistent that you have to have two, two choices for this final session with them. It can be tricky, basically, and like you want to lead them in the right direction, and but without being pushy and all of that. Have you
3: ever dealt with something like that, Orn? Yeah. Well, so I I want to just for our people that are didn't listen to our how to make commercials episode a little broader. <laughs> yeah, I just want to give like a three minute primer. Do you say primer or primer? I say primer, but I think both is correct. Yeah, both are correct. I like both is primer. Correct. What do I know? You know, because the movie, but um, mm-hmm. I say primer because it sounds like I know something that I don't. Uh, so basically we all know what commercial, we're just going to talk about commercials, but I will say this applies to branded content. I'm now doing like a webcam publicity stunt. Cent- I'm not doing it, I'm pitching on it. And it, it's the exact same process as a commercial. Basically anytime there's a brand that hires an agency that needs a director, this is the process we're talking about. But we'll, we'll talk about commercials because it's kind of the most universal, easy to understand version of it. So the agency is looking, has come up with an ad campaign for Coca-Cola. They want to, Market it to, you know, kids to drink after high school, and they have like actually a healthy one, or whatever, with less sugar, and that's that they come yeah, up with the campaign. It, you actually, you're not legally allowed to call it a healthy, or it should just say less sugar. Yeah, less sugar Coca Cola for kids. uh The agency comes up with the campaign. They find need a director to direct it. They find directors. You get to happen to they your real matches up because you've done a lot of kids and drinks and this is like a dance montage and you've done that because you made this awesome music video that was so clever on youtube or whatever this is your big break you get to pitch on this you write a treatment where you maybe shoot a test video or you describe exactly what it's going to look like or show them other references they choose you you talk to the agency they're like we love you now you have the job Uh, You get hired on a Monday. This is going to shoot, by the way, next Thursday. And this is not like an abnormal schedule for a commercial. Like my shoot that's on November 4th, I got hired last Monday. For commercials, it's crazy with casting too. Like you'll audition someone on a Wednesday that shoots on Friday. So actors, if you audition for a commercial and you haven't heard back in three weeks, you did not get that commercial. You did not get it. In TV and narrative and other things, you maybe could get it. You know, there's delays, They're thing, they're waiting to hear from other actors. But on commercials, it's like the turnaround from the time they hire the director till the time the commercial is shot is very, very rarely ever more than a month, unless it's some huge campaign that needs a ton of prep or Mm -hmm. there's or something. There's things get pushed for different reasons. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So needless to say, the process is really quick. Right. So even before you get the job, you've already started calling your DP, calling a production designer, checking availability, you know, trying to look at locations um trying to figure out how much everything is going to cost which is part of how you get the job so you got the job now you're preparing you got this you talk to the agency sometimes just one time they give you the script they give you some the POV of the client you know, um, what the client is important to them, what colors to avoid all these things. Right. And also you, you oftentimes not always, but almost always will have
1: a, an executive producer who has a relationship with someone at the agency who's their point person. So big decisions or even like kind of, you know, budgetary questions or, or, or pivots all are sort of being funneled through a pipeline. So you don't get a ton of FaceTime with them depending on how frequently you work with them or the size of the company, but uh, but there there is communication. And it's oftentimes mitigated by a person whose job it is to produce the commercial and therefore manage the budget. And so they are going to have their own thoughts and, and questions and biases. And then also a person who's on... Basically, the mirror image of that on the agency side as well. There's an agency producer quite quite often.
3: Yeah, and to be clear, the producer is on your team. They they want you to succeed because they are part of the Matt and producer team. And if you do a good job, then they will be able to get more jobs, and their relationship is good.
1: However, their their budget is their budget, and so if Matt has like a crazy awesome idea, but it requires a technocrane. you know a technocrane,
3: sometimes that's in the cards for you, and sometimes it doesn't. Right. So you're working on this job. I I, I almost always have some sort of kickoff call, which is with the agency, which is like, okay, congratulations. You got the job. We hired you. We're excited. Now let's talk about the script. What do we like? What do we not like? And let's go. Okay. And then you're looking for locations, right? You're looking for and as you're finding these things, you, you have a calendar, like you need to know your locations by Thursday. You need to have cast by Tuesday, whatever it is. And you are starting to send like here's my three locations we like we think will work this is my favorite one and this is why it only has this one problem so this is another location that solves that problem and then your producer will get him approved right And, and commonly
1: your producer again like you said is on team Oren or team matt um they are more aware of the speed at which we need to get things done Right. Like locations and and cast being perfect examples, because we know that you need your wardrobe person to have enough time to go ahead and shop for all of the different specialty items that the cast needs. But if they don't know how big the actor is, then they don't know how to buy the things. And, you know, there's only so much time if you can get something specially printed or shipped or whatever. So they're acutely aware of what needs to happen. And part of their
3: job is making sure that um, people are all aware of when they need to be making decisions by. Right. But to a certain extent, on most normal jobs, you're kind of on your own. Let's say you're doing a job for Bud Light and you have a car shaped like a Bud Light can and it drives through a wall, right? You are figuring out that car. You're figuring out what the can looks like. You're figuring out how to make the wall. You're figuring out the location. Right. If you have a budget for a Mini Cooper,
1: great. Like, And, and you want it to be a Mini Cooper, awesome. But if someone's like, what if that was a Ferrari all of a sudden? That's when someone else would have to weigh in because there's a a big creative shift and also budgetary shift, but there's a lot of teeny tiny decisions of like, okay, well, what, what color should the mini Cooper be? I had three in my pitch deck and I know like, do we want it to match the can or not? Like there's those little questions. They all kind of add up and there's only so many times you can ask your producer to find out without sounding annoying or indecisive. Yeah, Is that like, that's a thing that I deal with all the time. Like I know what color I want it to be, so why would you ask because sometimes with experience the you learn more and more what things are going to likely be important to a brand and which ones aren't but like I remember my first big branded spot was a you know a coke campaign and there was very specific rules about the amount of blue that I was allowed to have in the frame or like uh, what what tones of red we were allowed to have all, all sorts of right. little things color that, meaning with, tone meaning yeah sure exactly, exactly. But so you don't sometime early on, you don't know what would be important to a brand or what to look
3: out for, or things like that, yeah, well regardless you're you're eating into my setup of the p p m okay all right keep going keep going because i guess the point i was trying to make is you're now making all these decisions with your crew with your dp your dp's like we got to shoot from this angle because we'll see this at this time of day your production designer says we can't get this prop but we can get this prop which is similar your casting director's like i know you loved samantha but we got to use griselda samantha just joined sag and this is non-union whatever right Um, so you're putting all these things together and you're getting, yeah, cast and maybe locations, a few really big things approved. Mm -hmm. You are getting some things approved. Yeah. But you are building this deck of art, of schedule, of locations, of cast, of the, you know, how you're going to, the shot list, all these things. And you're putting them all into a PDF file, right? Just to simplify it. Mm -hmm. Or a PowerPoint presentation. Or a PowerPoint presentation, any sort of like slides. Right. And this is called the pre-production book, the PPB, some people call it, right? Or or just the book, I
1: think, sometimes. Sure. Or the book. I've, yeah. Just, you know, so the people aren't confused when someone's like, hey, do you have the stuff for
3: the for the book? And you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I've personally never heard anyone say, say that term. Oh, really? So, yeah. Um, you know, so, it's not all caps, the book. Yeah. You know. I've heard anyway. PPB, pre-production, the deck, the presentation. I, I there, And that's the thing that is minorly frustrating about this industry is that whoever you work with thinks that the way they describe it is the way everyone describes it. And as the the director where you're working with all these different companies, you're just like, yeah, I know what the deck book is. Don't worry. Um, you know? Yeah, sure. And then and you're like, like, what's the deck book? You ask your producer. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, And also it's a worthwhile to say that this book is a lot of work. And so your producer who's mostly employed to produce, right. Like has great relationships is really uh, understands, you know, um, production. Sometimes they're like, sometimes their coordinators doing it, but they have to oversee a graphic design presentation as well. And that can be really stressful, on bigger jobs, you would kind of outsource it and you'd have somebody sometimes
3: even design it or, or yeah. you know, at least... for
0: on smaller I, jobs, they'll be like, yeah. hey,
3: Oren, you think you could just put the book together? Maybe they have said... Maybe I have heard the book before. <laughs> see, yeah. <laughs> you, you listeners at home couldn't see Oren wince as he finished that <laughs> sentence. <laughs> um, anyway, so now you have this book and the book is basically... It's, you know, you had your treatment for your pitch and the book is... It's kind of like pitch number two. Now we're going to take this. We're going to present it to the agency and the client is usually also at this meeting and this pre-production meeting. And this is where you need to be like, dudes, we are so stoked because we got this impossible location. They used it for freaking James Bond. We thought it was impossible to get. We're like, there's no way we can afford it. Oh yeah, I just did that you know thing in the bat cave where i was like you know in the ppm there i'm like guys have you guys seen batman we got the bat cave we thought it was going to be a 100,000. dollars it was $3,000. we are finding deals. <laughs> sometimes i'll call it the tap dance, right? like it really is you're
1: you're likely talking for half an hour an hour straight. like sometimes people will ask questions but um But for the most part, you know, your EP is like, okay. well, we'll go through, you know, you go through who the cast or who the crew members are and like points of contact and some kind of like business. But then they turn it over to you and you're walking through the boards, you're walking through wardrobe, you're walking through casting choices. You're reminding them of what's happening in the script and anything that's kind of changed or tweaked or if you have any questions about it. You're talking to them about how you like to shoot and what your style of running the set is like all of those things but but also w- knowing that this is the f- first real opportunity for them to form an opinion about w- how good <laughs> how successful this commercial is going to be oh i thought you were so going to say it, how good you are it, no well yeah that too that too but but you know they they go hand in hand you know i don't think anyone has ever been like boy matt is a very very good director and these spots suck like, I, I think it's almost always like these spots are so great. Matt's great.
3: Right. I'm trying to pull up a pre-production book. So I'm looking at the table of contents here. So we have a cover, you know, it's a Swiffer It happened to star Abby Elliott. <laughs> yes. So we have a picture of her on the cover, you know, and the name of the campaign. And, and sometimes it'll have like the production logos as well. It'll be like... Yeah, exactly. We have the, the production logos and we have the agency name, the production company, all that stuff. Right and so then we have a table of contents here we have personnel scripts shooting boards talent wardrobe references location art direction equipment schedule post-production and so what i do you know and matt like you said every director does it their own way so who knows if we're even doing it the right way but what i've realized um is the same thing you have realized, which is we end up talking a lot for a very long time yeah i'll make sure that i get a water in advance so one thing that i've done in order to try to mitigate the amount of my voice people have to listen to is I look at the pre-production book and I look at every part that the producer could present personnel post-production schedule equipment there's location where where, something that people seem to think is very important in these meetings equipment I tend to take Yeah, I I guess I would probably take equipment too. Yeah, because
1: the, the thing is, is that equipment is a good example of like, they just want to know that the camera we're shooting on is good yeah so you say oh cool we're shooting on uh ari like basically every movie that you've ever seen is a shot on this alexa camera it's gonna be awesome and we've got yeah. a really great pair of like set of lenses they're vintage they've got so much character it's gonna you know i think that the dp said that these are the lenses that they shot james bond on
3: right i honestly don't even think Done. they care that's what but I it's say. an opportunity yeah. for you to remind them that they're in good hands yeah. Yeah. Um, but something that, that, that people seem to think is like the most important thing is like, what time is lunch and where do they park when they get to set? And that's a thing that I do not want to waste my, their time with me talking about it. So usually before this meeting, you'll talk to the producer, right? The EP, whatever, whoever's doing the presentation, you say, okay, you take this up, up to here. Let's try to not read the script because the scripts and the boards are pretty much the same thing. And, and then just pass it on to me for shooting boards. Right. And so they'll come, they'll and start the meeting. They'll, I mean, like, hey, we're super excited to be working on this. We've you know what I'm realizing? Really this this document is missing is
1: the thing I, we were joking about before the director's statement. Oh yeah, which is pretty tricky. You don't. It's not like you, you never are reading much from this document. It's really more. It's like public speaking in high school or whatever. You're using the the document to remind you of the points that you need to make. But like you're, I'm never like reciting something directly off of this document you know because presumably they've read everything that they need to have read already
3: yeah it's just like a treatment thing the worst version of a treatment is to have a treatment on the screen and read it to them so i think of it the same yeah i've actually i don't think i've ever put a director's statement in a pre-production meeting uh book but I, that's funny I don't know.
1: yeah i i feel like i have to all the time and i'm and now what I will do is I will, you know, I do the glossy quick version where I'm like, oh, I'm so excited, this and that, personal story. But then I use it as an opportunity to set the table for the my shooting style, basically. So, like, is there going to be improv? Uh, you know, uh, why am I excited about things? What are the things that they can look forward to? And also let them know that I'm going to shoot it the way that it is scripted. And the way that I like it and also I will come back and let them know like, hey, you know, I'm I'm really personable and like I'm happy to get some feedback. So I'll probably visit the tent or wherever you guys are and make sure that everyone's feeling good before we move on.
3: Yeah. And obviously it's worth mentioning that nowadays wherever you guys are is almost always going to be a zoom call for the near
1: foreseeable future yeah you know and it's funny i feel like that is much worse than having them on set for many many reasons but the biggest reason being like they can't take a call or like have another meeting when they're (laughs) on the zoom uh, on set no when they're on zoom it's like they can they can just kind of like check out and so sometimes i'll be like hey did we all like that and you know everyone is busy working and like that's that can be complicated for us sometimes
3: yeah yeah No, all the, all, all good points. So, okay. So you have, so you have this pre-pro book. I actually love the personnel page because it is like where you're talking about your cinematographer, your production designer, your first AD. And you can, it's fun because you can name drop about your crew without sounding like you're boasting because you, to me, the part of my excitement comes from like being excited about who we got to hire. We got all these, all these big wins. We got the, You know, the production designer from Neighbors, the movie, you know, and we got the costume designer from the Connors. And they, like, you're literally putting things into the agency and the client's minds where they can be like, oh, yeah, we got the costume designer from the Connors, you know, that they can say to their husband before they go to set in the morning, you know? Mm -hmm. And more importantly, when they come
1: back, back in the day, they would probably travel, fly in from Chicago or New York or somewhere like that. And then when they would go back to their workplace, People would be like, oh, how'd it go? And you want them to say, oh, it was so fun. The actors were really funny. It looks awesome. We got the DP from, you know, this crazy movie that I love. And, you know, this episode of TV. You know, like you're giving them the opportunity to name drop a little bit as well. And then in the office everyone's like oh wow did you hear about orange spot i think it's going to be really good or even not even orange spot they're going to say did you hear about the new swiffer spot that campaign's going to be awesome
3: or my spot yeah (laughs) everyone if as long as there's good buzz then they take credit for it when it starts falling apart that's when it's all your fault um but yeah so then at least from my experience and you tell me if if yours is different but they almost always put the scripts in to this pre-production book. And a big mistake I've seen in many pre-production meetings is people trying to read the entire script in the meeting because there's nothing worse than a non-performer, like a producer or even a... Cre- Sometimes an agency person can do a pretty good job at reading this, but in general, it's just so boring. And so what I always say is like, um, are you guys cool if we skip the scripts and just go straight to the storyboards? Because they're pretty much the same as the scripts except you'll be able to see how we're planning on shooting this thing and
1: it's likely to be the thing that got this project greenlit in the first place like the scripts tend to not evolve too much in between you know when you first get hired and and this ppm or if they right? do
3: evolve usually the client has approved them before we've gotten yeah, to the pre-production yeah. meeting
1: the buy-in is, is pretty imperative on that stuff.
3: Yeah. So it's rare when you're in this meeting and people are finding out like, Oh, what this is taking place in a house, not a restaurant, you know, that, that would probably never happen. Um, so this deck that we're looking at right now, one of my pet peeves is decks without page numbers. And that, that the one that you're seeing on my screen, Matt does not have page numbers. And that is, uh, I would be, I'm sure I was upset about it when we did this. Sure, and the reason is
1: not because you love uh, enumeration. It's that in case there's maybe somebody who is joining in by phone and they email the deck to or something like that, you can be like, okay, now that we're all on page six, and then you know everyone has a nice reference point, right? Yes. Or So that you love enumeration.
3: I guess my philosophy is never assume anyone is seeing what you're showing them. <laughs> like I honestly think I, you always say like, "Does everyone see it? Everyone have the deck?" And they're like, "Yeah, yeah." And someone's like. Mikey's, we think Mikey's driving. Oh uh, yeah. Sorry. I was on mute. Um, but I, I, I'm kind of following along. I'm listening, you know, but Mikey's going to get to his computer in five minutes. Like, so I always like to use the page numbers to anchor. I'm like, okay, great. So we're going to skip the script going to go straight to page five, you know, page seven, that's where the storyboards start. Even when you say it like
1: that, actually it like it, an instinct in me kicked in and and I would, I would probably go okay you know we're gonna skip ahead to uh, page six where with all of the storyboards okay here we go I I sell it I milk it maybe maybe too much but you know there is a level of performance and theatricality to it you know and look you have to read the room that's the like if people are enjoying it then you know it's okay to lean into showing people that you're excited or, or setting a tone but um yeah. Yeah. I sure. would probably announce things a tiny bit more just to kind of give people a little bit of room to breathe.
3: Yeah. No. And I think that's, that's awesome. And that like, the goal is for this to not be boring, you know? And like you said, if you do feel like people are like nodding off, then you, you skip things, you know, you're not like talking about exactly where you bought this shirt for this actor. But if people are like, Ooh, I like that shirt. Then you're like, yeah, it's actually from H&M and they're on sale. You know, part of this and every interaction you have with the agency and the client is showing that you're listening to them and you care about what they think, while at the same time being their guide and letting them know that even if they never showed up on set, you're still going to make this awesome thing, you know? And, And also, a lot of this is really a distillation of
1: the different ways in which you've tried to communicate your idea or it's been communicated to you, like someone has pitched something new to you those little nuggets of where you realize like, Oh, a crew member really understands this better now, or I've said it to an actor 16 different times. And on the 17th time I said this and it worked. It's all of those little grains of sand that you're trying to
3: push together into a, a sand castle of the PPM. Yeah. I mean, and pra- nothing beats practice. And, and I wouldn't want to say that, like, I'm, I want to make this episode helpful for people that also aren't going into pre-production meetings Um, that are maybe still kind of working on getting the pitching opportunity in the first place. But I would say that if you're trying to get someone to invest in your movie or sell your short film or even get a crew member or a cast member to work on things, like I think this, all this stuff applies, you know, because you're making a script, you're making a document, you're making images, you're making a deck, you're trying to show them, you know, proof of concept. And part of your presentation, what makes them want to work with you is a, how excited you are, b how, thoroughly prepared you are and see how much you care about them being a part of it right yeah that that's really well put orin and I, I think that uh part of the reason that i
1: think you and i both really kind of relish a ppm in a sick way is that it does force you to get good at communicating your ideas and that's something and not, and not just force you to get good at communicating them, but notice when you have done an effective job of communicating that and file that away for the PPM later. Right. And that sort of mentality certainly will serve you in every aspect of your career, learning, paying attention to when people get what you're trying to tell them and then savoring that and reiterating that to other people
3: later when you need to is is most of directing. Yeah, no, I mean, I think Hitchcock said like the number one thing, right. That a director needs to worry about is clarity, like clear communication. (laughs) And so I guess a thing that I always like to do when I'm presenting boards or anything is saying like, you know, I I know you guys like we're really wanted to make sure that we see the product name, when she puts this dish down on the counter. So that's why we have this shot here, one a, and that's, and we're going to shoot all sorts of versions of this so that we can edit it any way we want. And it's like, It's not that it's not true. It is true. But you make it seem like you're going to work on it harder than any other part because you know that it's important to them. You know, where the truth is, you're going to work hard on all of the parts. And you might even be slightly annoyed by that. (laughs) What I love about the way that you
1: said that is that there's also you're teaching them what's important in the day. So so to me, it's not. So much about what you said wasn't so much about impressing upon them that it's really important that you get the product shot right. It, you're letting them know, like, we're going to shoot it this way, and this is the way that it will be used. So keep an eye out for these aspects of the shot. Don't worry about whether or not it connects geographically to the scene or not, because it takes place in a totally different world. And so Eyelines aren't going to be important, or or you know the lighting is going to be different, or there's not going to be a big mess there anymore. Whatever it is, the the specifics of the of the thing are, are tricky. But you know, I remember early on, I, I was doing a, a alcohol job. And, uh, there's very specific rules about how long it takes for, uh, you can, you can pour alcohol on screen. Like you're not allowed to have people sip it in certain ways and you have to mix it or there's all sorts of very government, you know, guided regulations about it. And so if I had had more experience, I would have said, Hey, this product shot, we're going to shoot it with the actors because it's very loose and very documentary style. They may, you know, take a little bit longer or a little less time. Do not worry. Um, because we have set up a session to color time things and we have a VFX team to time things out so that it is exactly going to be perfect. So don't worry about the timing, worry about the performance because the timing will be perfect. Would be a thing
3: that I would explain in those boards, basically. Right. And I guess that said, it's also worth noting that once you get on set, everything that they so perfectly understood in the pre-production meeting, they've suddenly forgotten. (laughs) That is true. That is true. Uh, yeah. But at least you can say, remember when I said that to you? <laughs> in the meeting? Like, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. sorry, my dog peed yeah, yeah. on the carpet <laughs> right when you were talking about that. So we go through the boards, then the way I have this set up, um, is we have the talent at later, which is a little odd because there's only one actor in this spot and it was Abby Elliott, who's kind of like you know a celebrity of sorts and so we talk about she's on right now she's on odd mom out she was on SNL she's actually a third generation SNL actor her dad and grandfather were both uh, on SNL then we jump to wardrobe it's funny because like wardrobe is something that I'm just not good at talking about like I can't tell you the name of this pattern of this sweater Mm -hmm. or... Do you you want my move on that? I have two moves very specifically. So I will talk about
1: color and pattern. I will say, you know, we really wanted this blue sweater because I think it'll really accent the product's green in a really clean, cool way. And that'll make it look awesome. And, you know, like you said before, like, oh, maybe there's some color palette issues where we're talking about uh, complementary colors or something. So I'll talk about that because I don't know the difference between a... A Peter Pan collar and a crew neck, or I don't know, whatever. I don't even know what terminology to drop to. Right, like is this argyle flannel or is this like, yeah, yeah, yeah. jersey knit? Um, whatever. The other thing I will do is I will use store brands. That's my move. So I'll be like, this mom, we really wanted her to be a little more J Crew. She's a little preppy. She's a little aspirational. I'll use broader descriptive terms because the wardrobe designer does know all of those rules and you if you talk to them about like this is what we're aiming for they can guide and, and say like these are the colors i like these are the patterns i like these are the textures i'm looking for this is the silhouette even maybe that i'm looking for they'll pitch you things they'll work with you and they'll say okay is it more like this or more like that and then you'll fight figure it out together so you don't have to be in a fashion expert and know you know what uh, the latest trends are necessarily if you have a great wardrobe artist
3: for sure and this page specifically even the one that we're looking at right now for the swiffer job the samples were part of them were brought were sent from the agency and some were sent from our costume designer and we just put them together our favorite ones on this page but yeah my problem with the naming stores is i literally have like five or six (laughs) that i could name Yeah, you know from old navy to I don't know Nordstrom, yeah. Gap. <laughs> well, no, I <laughs> no. <laughs> I can I'm, go beyond I'm just Gap. Name all of the corporations, but yeah, you kind of have to go a little broad. But or you I, go
1: broad strokes with it. Yeah, yeah.
3: or I would. It's name not a helpful person. to say Target. Right, right. But you could say like she's kind of like an Ivanka Trump type. So she everything is kind of perfectly fitted and just feels expensive in the shoes. You know, I don't know the brands, but they're expensive. And we're gonna and and I will say because. I, I What I don't ever like to do is pretend I know more than, than I know, you know? So, so I would say maybe we have this awesome costume designer, you know, she did this and this and her assistant, he was dressed Lady Gaga for the Oscars or whatever, you know? And so they're, they're really helping us find this perfect mood, but, but this is the type of woman that this character is, you know, she's a mom, but she's cool. She lives in Beverly. She lives in Silver Lake, you know, and she does this and her kids go to this school and, this isn't, she's busy and she likes to be comfortable, but she knows that she might be seen and she's having lunch at Le Pond Cotidian, whatever. You just kind of anything, but I think kind of to your point, whatever you personally can grab onto is a good way to describe things. I think also uh, this is maybe
1: something that is lacking in our show right now is that because you and I both do comedy, the clothing tends to not be a focal point. If this were a lifestyle spot, or a fashion spot, obviously, then the slides that are devoted to wardrobe would be uh, much more important and probably a bigger percentage of the slides overall.
3: Yeah. Well, so when I did I did this this Lifetime movie with Lori Loughlin, Loughlin, remember many years ago, I've talked about it many times, and on the first day of the shoot, our costume designer... He were just like,
1: man, I wish I'd gone to USC.
3: <laughs> yeah. I would give anything. Exactly. to go to send my kids to
1: usc
3: yes so now sorry, uh, sorry. with a spotty record laurie our costume designer had bought her jeans at h&m and some cool shirts at zara or something and she was like uh i'm not wearing this like this isn't gonna look good on me it's like boxy. boxy it doesn't fit it's like i need a james purse t-shirt i need pant and she was saying these brands i had like barely yeah, like, oh like i have no idea i was like what okay let's just get yeah. her a james first t-shirt how much is that I'm like oh, 120 bucks uh she goes through 12 of them <laughs> with all these this blood makeup by the way and we're talking about like a a white t-shirt basically it's
1: gray but yeah yeah but but like you could go to target and spend twenty dollars and be good or even you know $20 a shirt if you wanted to get the fancy nice one at Target.
3: Yeah, but I don't think... It's not like we were saying, like, let's get Target. I think it's like we were getting her like the Banana Republic, you know, and she wants the, like, couture from Robertson Boulevard place that Paris Hilton shops at, you know, that... Or Kim Kardashian. Sorry. Sorry for the ancient reference of Paris Hilton. Uh,
1: who? Um, what are you,
3: who are you even talking about, Orin? Anyway, and I'm it's not that... I mean, she talk. was right, too. Like, her... She was trying to create a character that Cares about that stuff, and I've worked on other shows where the showrunners are like, "Listen, the I worked with Kenya Barris because he created Blackish, but it was before Blackish, and he was like, these guys would be wearing Prada shoes; they wouldn't be wearing freaking Adidas and Converse. You know, at the time, I was like, oh, this guy's ridiculous. But then, you know, knowing who he became and how strong his point of view is yeah, that stuff makes a difference, you know? And so anyway, we've talked about wardrobe a lot at this point in the PPM, I would say, uh, does anyone have any questions? Sorry. I know I'm going really fast, but I, there's a lot to get through and uh, I just want to make sure. Feel free to stop me, but here we go. Next up. (laughs) Yeah. So then here we have the location. We talk about the location. I love it. The light is natural. You know, we, again, I, I do tend to try to sell the location a lot because i I think it's like one of the most important things of any shoot you know be like after casting is a location it just determines everything it determines your lighting your schedule your how fun the day is going to be and because you're talking about client in an agency yeah Yeah. sometimes you'll be like by the way they have a jacuzzi in the back for you know there's like opportunities to make jokes i'll do that joke but sometimes i'll even be like
1: and also like if you guys wanted to go to a Get a fancy lunch, you know, this place, you know, blah, 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 blah. Oh, it's right next door to Chipotle. Yeah. Um,
3: Yeah. So then we go on. Drop my name. They'll give you extra guac. Yeah. Page 18 here. We got an art direction. Nothing too fancy. But then this is where I always do like, well, it's, you know, it's somewhere between West Elm and CB2. It's like, you know, we got some throws. We got this. We got shapes. It's cozy, but comfortable, modern, eclectic, whatever. This is like, this is probably the fluffiest I get. 'Cause Aspirational California. Yeah. Because no matter how much you want to push a commercial, it's almost always they want it to be aspirational, <laughs> right? If you're going to show anyone's brand in any place, it should just needs to look nice. And something I try to impart on people that aren't super familiar with commercial production is that in Los Angeles, if you want to rent a house that looks like a nice average American house, that's like a six million dollar house in Los Angeles. Yeah, that that's the thing that's really tricky, and it
1: throws me off actually, because I am you know acutely aware of housing prices <laughs> um, right. as a as a Home Snap, Redfin, Zillow uh, subscribing addict, and so I have to recalibrate a little bit. I have to think through like, okay, like I know that. These houses are really big and they seem really ostentatious and I know that it's in Beverly Hills or somewhere crazy or Westwood or, or the Palisades and that it's going to be a multimillion dollar house or even like a giant mansion in West Adams, you
3: know, like mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, like a Victorian or something. Something that like, you know, uh, if you lived in Ohio, would be a, a, again, still a very nice house but not
3: not millions of dollars. Right? Well, look at, I live in a pretty nice house, right? Like, a, you know, a fine house. Look at, uh, i sorry, listeners, I know you can't see this, but I have a picture of a kitchen that would seem like a normal commercial kitchen of like an average middle class American family. Right. It's got, it's got right? pennant lights. It's got white white cabinets, very trendy,
1: stainless steel. It's got like uh, a quartz counter island in the middle. Yeah, an island. But, but that's basically the other thing. Islands are really nice to shoot around. Like you can always put some, but you can get a little bit of depth. You can get a little bit of natural light pretty typically islands and they're very trendy so it's a perfect thing for especially a spot that's like straight to camera like this right
3: but so my house which is a fine house I think anyone that comes Mm -hmm. there's like oh cool cool house yeah my kitchen or your house is very nice but but my kitchen compared to this kitchen that you're seeing here it's like literally uh, this house either it's very far away from LA or it's a you know four million dollar house like you to to get a house that looks Like a $500,000 house in Dallas, you need to to find a $5 million house for production. And then you need to find a very photogenic house. So it's like, I don't know. That's one of, I have many, many pet peeves, as our listeners know. But one of the big ones is when they say, oh, it just takes place in a kitchen. It's easy. And you're like, listen, to make a kitchen look good, you need an amazing kitchen. You know? Yeah.
1: Uh, The uh, the other thing that I find that is really tricky is like, if you're working on a job where they're maybe trying to like save a little bit of money in terms of not how much they're going to spend on, on the location, but who they're paying to find it. Sometimes a producer will be like, well, you know, I'll just hop on Peerspace or Gigster or, you know, like uh, I've got a few places in mind. And uh, those are effectively like Airbnb, but for locations. The people who list their uh, homes on those websites tend to have Very particular homes. Someone walked in and they were like, wow, this place is incredible. Has it ever been in a movie? You guys should, I bet, yeah, I know a guy who's making a ton of money putting their place up. They're renting it out to people who shoot movies all the time. And it's because there's something particular about their home. Maybe it's very ostentatious. It's got an incredible spiral staircase or something like that.
3: Or it has a staircase behind the couch where they watch TV. Which is something that is almost in every single sitcom and almost never exists in like a real house ever. Or,
1: or I'm talking about more like an infinity pool. You know, that that's the sort of stuff you see on those websites all the time. And that is not what I want in a commercial. I want something that feels more relatable, even though you and I know it is still a very expensive house. So the house that you were describing is really kind of in this terrible spot where it is very expensive... So hard, but also not peculiar enough to be listed publicly a lot of places.
3: Yeah. Well, this house that we shot for the Swiffer thing, we actually found on Gigster and it's like a 5,000 square foot house in, you know, like Santa Clarita somewhere. But the house itself is not, it's gigantic, but it's not nice. But the kitchen has a giant Island and you can look at it from many different angles that look good. So anyhow, in the pre-production meeting, we never talk about how dumb a house is. We always talk about how great it is, and that that. But you also to don't everything. go into two. There
1: are a lot of things that you think about. This is the the example of where like you've decided on the house for a thousand different reasons, and you're really only talking about how good it looks. Like you're not talking about its proximity to parking. You're not. You're, you maybe you say that the light looks good or something like that, but you're not talking about a lot of the other things about like how close it is to the other location or stuff like that. There's that, that you kind of keep your mouth shut on that. At this point, they're getting a little bored.
3: Yeah. For so sure. you, you can
1: kind of like, and you're right trying to through. kind of
3: drop little tidbits. Like they actually, the woman that owns this house used to work at Swiffer. Her name's Jane. Do you know her? Like you're trying to find some connections for them to care about. Yeah. So that's why by the time we get to this equipment page, which I'm really on the fence on. Do you, you have it in a lot of your briefs? I, or you know, your, I have, decks, I right? have it on a, a lot of my decks and it looks, so
1: what Orin is showing us is that it's got, uh, it lists the type of camera, the lens set, uh, whether, and like any other specialty, um, right. If you have a pieces, crane or a doll or have have a camera. Right. And then this one says a three ton LED lighting package, which I would not put on there. No one cares about any of that stuff. This is just like, Hey, we've got all the gear that we need. It's going to look awesome. This camera shoots movies. If it's red, I'll say David Fincher shoots all of his movies on this camera. And sometimes they're impressed by that. It depends. At this this point, you really you have to read the room because there's a lot of this is an opportunity to yada, yada, yada your way through things because they have other things they have to worry about. Let me ask, actually, Oren, when you're sensing that someone doesn't care about, say, wardrobe or casting or whatever, because they depending, they could be pretty tuned in. They could be really familiar with all of this
3: do you have any moves for fast forwarding right in general i never want to tell them the things that they told me right so i don't want to say like jane she's young young 30s professional woman you know she just moved to chicago and she can't wait for her first job interview and if if all that stuff came straight out of what the agency wrote or the script then why am i telling them that you know so i'm so sometimes on wardrobe if i do sense that or or equipment or location I'll say like, um, here's our location. You guys know about it. You approved it. We love it. If you have any questions, let me know, but I'm going to move on to the next page. <laughs> and then, so, and, on my pre-pro book here, we have the schedule, you know, what time every, the crew is arriving, what time the clients are having the agency. And a lot of times by this point, you're totally right. Everyone's like falling asleep. So it's like, okay, the important things you guys need to know is the agency is Abby's getting to set at six 30 agency should probably come at the same time. Cause it would be great to approve her wardrobe, get to know her, be comfortable. And we're going to start shooting with her at 830. So we'll have two yeah, give, hours.
1: Give the crew a little bit of time to set up and then we'll go on a show and tell. I'll show you all the stuff and we can look at it all one last
3: time with our own two eyes. Yeah. And here you can see on this pre-pro book at 1 p.m. We have uh, Abby is going to do some PR interviews. We have Entertainment Tonight is coming. They're going to just shoot for a few, sec- few minutes on our set. Uh, we'll just all wait outside during that time. You know, you kind of... The things that they care about at this point, I'm not going to tell them what order we're shooting in and, like, why, what, whatever. We already had the sh- the boards. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, sometimes
1: if there's a product shot in particular or if there's, like, a thing that they have shown interested in some way, uh, sometimes I'll call that out. I'll be like, you know, we're getting going. I'll do, a, like, a quick show and tell. You guys all seem to be pretty up-to-date on everything, so no surprises there. It is worth it to say that... The product shots are going to be at the top of the day, so if you want to be a part of those, let's make sure we're all ready to go on that uh, at seven thirty or whatever. Yeah, is what I would say.
3: Yeah, I also love like voiceover at the end of the day, and then almost let the agency like direct it. You know, like oh, you know, Monica like maybe you and I will go into like a quiet room with like Abby and we'll just do all the voiceover just two of us and can make sure you feel good about it. And cause by that point I like, don't care at all. I just want them to be happy, <laughs> you know? And I'm so tired and like directing VO is just like so boring. Like, okay, great. Just give us like another, just give us a fast punchy one. Like, okay, now give us one. Like you really don't want to clean up, but Swiffer is making you happy, you know, whatever. It's just, it's like the worst directing. Vo is the worst directing
1: thing. Uh, yeah, I, I maybe. I I hear where you are coming from. I don't know that I. I think that your thought of like building in a few opportunities for them to, really weigh in gives them the sense that they have have really done their job, that they're overseeing everything, but also defines it you know, so that that gives them permission to check in on their other projects and things like that. Whereas if it just feels like all day, every day, they have to be keeping tabs on every single little thing that stresses them out, that makes them less happy and that keeps them in your hair.
3: Yeah. And by the way, I would never say out loud, like I'll let you direct this part, you know, but Hey, I really would love your help or your insight on this. Yeah. Yeah. When we were talking the other day, you were pitching all these funny lines. It'd be awesome to kind of run them. Like have Abby run through them. So maybe you'll come with me and we'll figure it out. Um, yeah. And then we just like, yeah, here's the calendar. You guys know that Therese, when's this due? When's this coming out? Or I'll just ask the producer and then thanks. Any questions? Yeah. So that's a pre-production meeting. I don't know. I don't know if there's that much to say about it except for we just yeah, talked for yeah. an hour about
1: it. Well, yeah, we would think, I think like having a few moods. it really, to me, the importance of this episode is So that if people are ever like, I've never done this before, they have this episode to lean on just to have a better expectation of what's going to happen. And then depending on what the deal is, sometimes you all go away and like you kind of are scrambling because the client was like, I don't really, we should have mentioned this before, but Blue is actually off limits our ceo hates the color blue because it's the main color of their competitor and then you have to like repaint a house or something crazy um but then oftentimes that will be the night that you will have dinner with them as well yeah i mean
3: i feel like that's just not going to happen for such a long time <laughs> that's true that's true it's not not a not an issue anymore. i haven't but done yeah, that for a for like long a time year, i don't know personally and i feel like I don't think I'm going to do that for a year at least. Yeah, that's probably true. In the true. future. Yeah, But yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I used to not love it. And now I
1: miss it for sure.
3: Yeah. Because I enjoy it. it. Was- I, I get it. The company I'm with is very... They think every time you interact with the agency is an opportunity to make a good impression. And while I agree with that, I don't like going in with that mindset that I just have to be funny and quirky, and they're like, Orin, you know, if they mention something that they like, like, maybe we can, like, they like a type of wine, maybe we can get a type of wine, you know, like, I don't want to feel like I'm fishing, you know, I don't know, I'm just not good at pretending to be interesting.
1: Right, right. Well, I think, you know, to me, the dinner I've realized, the more I relate to these people, and the more I understand where they're coming from, and the, the more similar our lives become, the more it's like an opportunity to like be friends with a coworker, you know. And so I think when I was younger, and was like maybe a little more averse to advertising in general, and also, you know, was like I'm a filmmaker. These friggin' sellouts. What do they know? You know, like oh, they just want to get loaded on the you know corporation's dime, and you know I've got better things to do. That used to be kind of like where I was coming from. And it's more like, oh no, this is just like a nice work trip for them. And like, they, you know, miss their families likely. And wanna like know that they had a nice time out here in LA and you know, maybe um did get to eat a steak on the company's dime. That's pretty nice. Yeah, those you know? dinners
3: usually tend to be pretty expensive. <laughs> pretty expensive. Yeah, yeah. And they're yeah. coming out of your budget too, so it kind of sucks. I'm like, you told me we couldn't get a steady cam and we just spent fourteen hundred dollars on dinner. <laughs> yeah, you're like oh, What gosh. a waste. Uh no. have you ever How much been was that
1: bottle of wine At
3: one of those dinners and had like a young agency creative or someone say So, uh, so what like movie stars have you worked with or a question like that? Or like, have you, I've,
1: you know, to be honest, I've had the flip where you were saying before, like, Oh, you feel a lot of pressure to be interesting. And I feel like there have been instances where I'm telling a story or something like that. And it feels name droppy. It feels like, like oftentimes like a good, funny color for story part of the reason it is that way is because right the cast of crazy ex friend was there and hey yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah exactly like you know that's that's the thing that's sort of funny about it you know if it was just like an obnoxious woman in line behind me at starbucks there's no punchline to it and so i feel like sometimes especially when you're talking with people who don't live in hollywood that sounds like bragging in a way that it's more like a bear sighting or like, you know, a funny story about deer in your front yard, you know, like celebrities are it's not something to be impressed by, but it is something unique or, or noteworthy, you know? So I
3: feel like sometimes I I come off like a Hollywood douchebag. Yeah, I think I I'm sure I do too. I don't know. I guess in those situations, I'm always like, if I feel like that, I would just be like, is that weird? I'm not, I don't mean to like be like name dropping things. And they'll be like, "No, it's fine. This is interesting. This is why we're working in this business. This we think this is fun to talk about." So pre-production meetings—they're fun. I, I, I had one nightmare story. I'm sure I've told it on the podcast before, but I was doing this these Jeep spots, and we were shooting. Did I tell, talk about this? We we're shooting on the Universal lot, and the day before the it was for Jeep, you know, which is part of GMC. We had a meeting where I presented everything, the location, the cast, the wardrobe. And we had this uh, Tim Meadows was the star. And he was supposed to be giving somebody golf advice, but he knows nothing about golf. He's just like pretending to know about golf. So we had him this like hilarious outfit for him, like, you know, the long socks pulled up, like kind of almost like dressed like a leprechaun. We had like custom manufactured this like $15,000 miniature golf course for him to use. And this is on a Wednesday. We're shooting on a Thursday morning, like at 6 a.m., And we're doing this like Wednesday at 4 p.m. or something. And we're on the call with everyone. The agency, the media buyers, the production company, the whatever. Bazillion people. This is a, especially at the time, it was a pretty high stakes job for you, I remember. It was like a, it was a bigger,
1: bigger deal. I think to this day, it might be the biggest job I've ever had. (laughs) Like oftentimes you don't have media buyers on those calls frequently.
3: Yeah, no. It it was normally a smaller list of people. And the head of marketing of GM comes on and she's like I'm gonna stop you right there what's your name Warren (laughs) um why is he wearing this outfit like our audience doesn't like that our audience wouldn't connect that he shouldn't wear something cool this is like he's like the star of this like he should be wearing like a cool sweater a cool golf outfit like Nobody wears this to golf. I'm like, yeah, the whole point is he's like this guy that doesn't, it's for, it's a commercial for Jeep compass and this guy's lost, right? He doesn't have a compass. He's talking to people with a Jeep compass and they don't need his help because they know where they're going. She's like, yeah, I understand the concept, but like, why don't, we don't want him wearing that. He looks ridiculous. We don't want our brand associated with that. I'm like, uh, okay, well, okay, well, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll get some other options for him. Yeah, sure. Sweater. Yeah. We'll kind of lean into the vibe that you guys have in your other Jeep spots, which Jeep never does comedy. You know, they didn't really right. do a lot of comedy. They're doing- That is the hard thing with advertising and comedy
1: in general is because comedy is about surprise. It's about reversals. It's about like high stakes, low stakes. It's about, in this case, silliness. And no one wants to be like, we're silly, but also buy this, you know, tens of thousands of dollars vehicle
3: right so then i'm like okay okay cool yeah we'll figure that um now our this other actor stephen bishop he's from some bravo show called the imposters and stuff so we're super stoked about our location we're shooting on wisteria lane you know this is from desperate housewives and by the way this woman who's the head of marketing at gm like she works on like 20 million dollar campaigns like nothing i can say will impress her (laughs) like this isn't like mary she's not like oh cool the camera david fincher uses cool or i just and, fired yeah. david fincher yesterday so, <laughs> yeah. yeah, stuff looks like shit yeah so i mean and so i'm like yeah we're shooting on mysterio lane here's the house we're gonna our whole greens team i mean we had like a green team. we had like people like yeah like you said refinishing this house on at universal studios like moving like rearranging the tram ride so that we can shoot there all this stuff and she's like uh Stephen Bishop would never live in this house. I'm like, well, yeah, but you're looking at the house that we're going to add the greens. We're going to, the grass is going to look amazing. We're going to put like all sorts of flowers. Not flowers. Stephen Bishop wouldn't have flowers. I mean, Stephen Bishop is a cool guy. He would live in a cool house. I'm like, yeah, this, this is like, a three-story house it's got five bedrooms and it's like this awesome house She's like no it just looks like crap look at the roof it's falling apart like and i was like so in the meantime we're like everyone in the room with me i'm in a room with like 12 people is like texting people like get us photos Yeah, they're of every quietly house. like yeah yeah And i'm like okay well this is the street like let's let's just look together what are there any, this is where we're shooting tomorrow <laughs> are there any other houses <laughs> here that you think like what do you think about this house on the other side of the street and she's like, yeah, I could see that. I'm like, we can add some cool pots, like modern pots from like Creighton Barrel and we can do some things. And, you know, there's, we were going to use the driveway, but we can he just have him drive in the like park on the street. And she's like, like, is that okay if he parks on the street? She's like, yeah, that's okay. And so on the fly, we're like trying to change all these things. And she's like, but the last thing golf, like our consumers, they're not into golf. Like why golf? I'm like, well, because Stephen Bish, this guy is like famous for his celebrity golf tournament. She's like, yeah, no, let's change it to golf. Can we do something else? I was, I was like, what, like baseball? And she's like, yeah, let's do baseball. Like all the art, all the props, all the wardrobe, all this change. The whole reason we're doing golf is because this guy has a celebrity golf. You third. have not, you have not told this story actually. That's so funny. So insane. And, and, and I was
1: like. And also, so this, this illustrates though, the thing that I, you deal with, with commercials all the time there, you're in a conference room, the big friggin', you know, giant conference room, every it's, the room is packed and there are no fewer than 10, probably 15 people whose job it was to get this
3: okayed by people like her. Yeah. In her defense, she did say, she was like, look, I haven't actually really looked at any of the stuff yet because we've been working on this way bigger campaign. (laughs) Sure, sure, sure. Fair enough. But the point is, is that like everyone's supposed to get this buy-in, they get the
1: sign-off or whatever, but no matter if they are great at their job and like she said yes or not, it's still your problem because the director is the person whose job it is to execute. And so when things Mm go haywire... get
3: executed, Yeah.
1: Or get executed. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, you can be like, guys, I thought that, you know, we had the seal of approval here. I thought this was, you know, good to go. That's just wasted air. That's just
3: wasted breath. Like they thought that it's your problem now. So go fix it. And no one is standing up for me, by the way. And like all these decisions, like you said, like a hundred people had seen in the agency that this, the production company, everyone's excited, production designer, all this stuff. And it's just me versus the CMO of one of the biggest companies in the world, <laughs> like a fortune 500 company, right? It, with 40 people listening. And we know we have to shoot this tomorrow morning. And I go, okay, so your demo doesn't like golf. Do they like miniaturized golf? Because we have this awesome <laughs> miniature golf course we built. <laughs> You're like, oh, really? Digital you are. And she's like, yeah okay that's okay Mini- well, i'm okay with the miniature golf. <laughs> <laughs> well and it's also a
1: funny thing where you have to figure out that she's making definitive declarations in this circumstance
3: so the, there's not as much wiggle room but
1: sometimes
0: yeah. you want she to push also back.
1: went
3: to like wharton business school and has been in advertising for like 30 years and like you know yeah like probably knows what she's talking about yes. right
1: yes certainly does but they hired you to make creative decisions or recommendations and so like there's this weird thing where you don't want to back down from everything you don't want to not back down on principle, right? Like, if it's if a better idea comes up or if they're coming from a point of understanding the demo better than you do, there's no point in arguing. Let's just figure it out together. And you want to be a team player. You want to figure it out. You got to be collaborative. But also, like, you know, if it seems like you don't believe in these ideas, then... There's blood in the water. They smell that. They sense that. They seize on that
3: sometimes. And so it's that's just a judgment call. And you you are a lot of times talking to people that do have, literally, have the power to like pull the plug on the whole thing. I can say and and have before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Steve Jobs was famous, right, for like just canceling shoots last minute or shooting five things and canceling four of them after they were shot. Yeah, yeah. He'd see he'd, he'd
1: shoot them and then just
3: not air some. Yeah. Yeah, we, that would be the plan for him. I had one other job, I'm sure I told you about, where we shot this commercial, and then like literally the day after we shot it, the almost the identical commercial came out. Art mine was for Time Warner Cable, and this one was for T-Mobile. And yeah, the, you're forgetting the punchline to that one. That the production company called us and told us to cancel the shoot mm-hmm. after we. Had no, shot. that's that's not the punchline. <laughs> What's the, the punchline point? is?
1: And then they came up with new creative, and you were busy, and I got the job instead. Oh.
3: Yes, I guess I guess I didn't think of that as a punchline. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> Thanks, Oren. Yeah. Well, I guess I. just uh, But always... I
1: inherited your cast, which was funny. Yeah, that is that was funny. Uh, a bunch of talented people, but like not exactly who you would
3: necessarily pick in every circumstance. Well, because you did a totally different the whole. Different it was a totally script, different campaign. Different everything. Yeah. 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 yeah I, f- I forgot about that. Yeah. For me, the punchline was they told that they canceled the shoot after we shot. <laughs> That is funny. I forgot that. Yeah. And, and like, the spots uh, turned out yeah, well. was shot yesterday. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 yeah. That's, that's really, funny. needless to say, it was a small, a small enough budget where they didn't even show up to set, which is why they didn't know that we had shot yesterday. My sweatiest
1: PPM was uh, there was an instance where a creative director who was like in the hierarchy of agency people, they, they were the big boss. And, um, and they had been like, Hey, art director, copywriter. You you help with casting, right? And so the three of us, myself, the copywriter and the art director, they all we all agreed that there was really only one worthwhile choice from all of the actors that we read. Loved this person, so funny, she was the one. But we had to present two choices, and the creative director didn't wasn't at the PPM. And so the the decision was that the client would des- would decide. And and you can so, recommend someone. Uh, yeah, I was like, this, this our is our first choice with- and this is a backup. But I think that we maybe had to like hedge it a little bit more than that. I was like, here are two options. And I didn't want to be like, this is the only choice. But also, like it had been basically set up such that like the client could, who is just like a nice lady who works at a corporation wasn't sure was trying to read what I was trying to say to her and I'm like staring at the the people and the other guys on the phone so I can't be like this is the only person worth chit picking pick this person or like even we really like this person I think we could all just be really happy with this one so let's go for it like I just kind of had to slowly quietly not throw anyone under the bus and we ended up with the other actor as a result it
3: mm. seems odd to me that you would not have your cast picked by the pre-production meeting it was because the creative director was out of town yeah oh. that's why yeah yeah i mean yeah that that is quite rare i will say i fight a lot on things like that and i i lose a lot but i think the fight is worth it because on occasion i do win and you know when it's like that type of situation and you know one is like better than the other one it's uh yeah yeah, it's with a, casting, yeah, yeah. the the the
1: issue I think is that for me it tends to boil down to acting ability slash training versus conventional attractiveness is oftentimes the split. So the one person is like, "Well, that person's really hot," and I'm like, "Well, but this person can act better than that person," and that's you know it's a tricky thing. But then that but then the response is always like, "Well, you're the director. Can't you get them to do a good job <laughs> yeah. acting?" no you're and you're like well yeah
3: no i guess you you need to tell him the director's (laughs) job is to cast this correctly yeah 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 man that i mean that problem i'm just on this job i'm doing now it's like the same thing it's like well i was like this actress is so much better like she's so good she's the role she's natural she's like yeah but she's like kind of pretty in a way that like I think is like annoying to people. Her hotness gets in the way of her cuteness. She wasn't yeah, but it but she wasn't is the thing. It's it's like just one person said that and everyone else is like, I I trust you. I'll I'll let you guys work it out. I'm like, well, who's gonna win this? The agency or the director? Like, of course the agency is gonna get the final say and then they're gonna sell this the client on it. Anyway, needless to say, don't go into this business, it sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Also we're really talking about like
1: the performance is really made or broken by this this performer and their line is huh cheese it's
3: wow yeah or something equally dumb <laughs> yeah. yeah but i don't know there's there's good commercial actors and there's bad commercial yeah. actors and i've that, worked that with is true both <laughs> and i love cheese it's so there you go
1: yeah well Oren, i hope your shoots go super well thanks i only have one actually booked i'm just in oh Pitches, PPMs, all of that stuff. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Well, work is back, as we've talked about on the last episode, so it's nice to be in the mix on things. Cool. Well, would you like to join me for some unpaid endorsements? Unpaid endorsements. So my endorsement is the social media feed, but specifically the impressions of Donald Trump that James Austin Johnson does on Instagram. They're totally stripped down. He's just like walking and talking. It's just that he has nailed the cadence and the rambling of Donald Trump in a way that is genuinely inspired and funny and unique. And it's, there's a Slate article that we'll post about it as well. They articulate why it's finally the Trump impression that we've been waiting four years for, because it is insightful in a way that we haven't had from anybody else. All the other people who've given it a shot, they're just kind of doing this bad broad, you know kind of hateful take which we all not we all but i agree with the perspective on but it doesn't really hit comedically like i've never found out i hate alec baldwin's impression frankly i think it's like oh i think he's unhelpful he's good i mean but even like jimmy fallon when he does like trump is yeah pretty funny it it but it's not great it's not a truly interesting impression and this guy on Instagram, on social media, he doesn't look anything like him. He's not wearing a costume or anything. James Austin Johnson, he has figured out the, a version of Trump that we um, are all familiar with, but no one has really lampooned. And it's, it's what he refers to as rally Trump he's holding court, he's just kind of, he's off script, he's just thinking about things, and he does those kind of zigs and zags, and kind of like the cadence of all of it is so funny and so weird, and it really makes me laugh. And he'll, you know, he'll pick kind of random sort of dumb uh, topics to sort of riff on. So uh, he's got one about how a uh, weird owl is a a one of a kind American, but he's not been very nice to Mr. Coolio or Mr. Chameleon Air. That really makes me laugh. And then also one about Julia Louis Dreyfus. Um, hopefully it's not a relevant impression for much longer. James Austin Johnston, his Trump impressions. That's my recommendation. Twitter, Instagram, you can find him there.
3: Oran, what you got, buddy? So. I got like a, it's not a thing, but it's an idea I heard that I thought was really interesting. My wife told me about it. My wife is an actor, actress, whatever term you prefer. I, I, I kind of prefer actress. Can I just be honest with you? <laughs> because I've been trying to say actor for female actors because it seems like it's the right thing to say. But like whenever I Google actors, I'll be like, you know, best comedy actors. It'll be bring you all male actors. The gender or non-gender or whatever of an actor is like a big way to narrow down the type of actor you're looking for. And, you know, all we're doing is like filtering like ages, like races, like humor, like the look, the height, all these things. So it's like, to remove a way to like filter things like especially when in searches it, you're just trying to box actors in a little bit like or <laughs> No, I guess I'm trying to I'm I'm make it teasing, okay to yeah. use the term actress uh and not feel like a jerk. But anyway, my wife is an actress <laughs> and she was talking to her manager about our daughter and you, you know, and she she's like every actress she has good years and bad years and she books things and doesn't book other things she's not famous she was on some tv shows and whatever but he said to her that kind of the best chance to become a very successful actor or actress is to be a second generation person in the hollywood business he's like look at oh yeah look at some of the
1: biggest things and you're talking about nepotism when you said second generation i thought you meant like immigration
3: wise no but you just mean like have famous as famous parents no like growing up from a very young age like if my daughter or your kids, or any of our kids, are going to a set. You know, when they're six years old, seven years old, they start hearing. They know that, like, you know, we talk. We meet so many directors that didn't even know this job of director exists until they graduated high school. You know, imagine they're like ten years behind, like our kids would be in in that field, right? um And I just thought it was a really yes. It's obvious. Yeah, you're. Ivan Reitman's son, Jason Reitman, here so going to get a job. But what I'm saying is, it doesn't mean like Ivan Reitman is going to give Jason Reitman a job. But maybe your dad was like the grip on Star Wars, and you grew up in this business, and you're familiar with this business, and you know writers, and you know, you know, it's it's half about your network and it's half about your experience, right? And and a little bit about your talent as well, which is you gain through a network and experience. And so if you are I guess it just was this weird ray of sunshine for me. And I think everyone that's listening to this, maybe you're in your forties and you decided to quit your job and move to Hollywood to try to be a screenwriter and director. And you're like, will I ever make it? Maybe you will. Maybe you won't, but your kids have a pretty good chance, <laughs> a much better chance. If you raise them in this industry and interested in film, interested in cameras, watching movies, doing, you know, I wasn't really raised. I saw just, I would just watch like Terminator Two and Back to the Future on repeat. I wasn't like, I seeing not seen I mean, like that's classic a pr- pretty films. Pretty good,
1: pretty good call though.
3: Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't know. I just thought it's interesting, and it kind of made me think like, okay, maybe, even if I don't end up being a Fincher, maybe my daughter will be. You know? Sure. Yeah. And well, fingers crossed. It's just uh, yeah. So I'm I'm excited for her career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's uh she's going on generals
1: all next week like hopefully she signs some with someone soon but you know you don't want to push her into whatever decision she's gonna make yeah
3: well thanks for listening everyone please again let us know if you enjoy these episodes of just matt and me complaining um or if you want to hear if you're desperate to hear more guests uh, also as always you are welcome to pitch us guests i will tell you the most common pitch we get is, hey, I made this awesome movie for $2,000 and it's playing at this festival. You should have me on to tell you how to make a movie for $2,000. That is not something that we are interested in hearing about right now. Unfortunately, we covered that a lot and we, I guess we prefer people that can give us advice on how to get to where they got to, you know, in a more aspirational way, I guess. Yeah, I I would say this is maybe
1: a rude caveat but let's be rude we're really, like long into this you, episode people stop if you, listening uh, yeah sure but if you won Sundance and uh, your movie cost $2,000 that's a different story oh
3: yeah I'm not saying that we don't want a movie that cost $2,000 I'm saying that because your movie costs $2,000 that's not, not the enticing. reason yeah Yeah. you played at an awesome festival and the short of the week you uh, you know what, Oren, though?
1: I think we've said this a, a good number of times, and I have a hunch that the people emailing us... Do not
3: listen to are, Do not listen to the show. So so there you go. I don't know. They all say we're, they're big fans. <laughs> yeah. They're yeah, like, I'm a big well, fan, Mike and Sh- Lauren. <laughs>
1: Lauren?
3: <laughs> um Anyway, yeah. uh, let us know. This episode was expertly edited by Sarah Weirda, our social media shark is Derek Ayello our web ubermaster is Ewan Williams the music you're listening to is from the freest of music archives and the artist Gesarn and uh, you can follow us across all social media at just pod check
1: us out online at justshootapod.com if you want to check about check out all the things that we talk about on the show I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow. he's o kaplan on Instagram or smighty pileg on Twitter uh, even though he's taking a break